Hello, and welcome back to The Immortals. My name is Rishi Chaudhary, and I'm here with Ishan Shivanan, an executive coach and wellness expert who is also the founder of the Yoga of Immortals program. Mr. Shivanan, how are you? I'm excellent, Rishi. How are you? So happy to be here. I'm excellent. Next, we're here with Dagmar. She has experience. Uh, she has over 20 years in one-to-one training and guiding people in groups. She trains to help empower in becoming holistic, healthy, and more focused. She has led various teacher trainings in the field of yoga and meditation, wellness concepts, and ancient healing arts. Dagmar G, uh, welcome to the podcast. Uh, she will be taking over this episode. Uh, with that being said, Dagmar G and Ishanji, take it away. Thank you so much. Thank you. Namashivai Dagmaji, so happy to be with you today. I uh, just want to give a small introduction of Dagmaji and myself. About 20 years ago, I remember a young girl came to the monastery uh, and she had come to learn about the ancient culture of the immortals, about the secrets of Shivyog. And when I saw her, I was much intrigued and interested because she was so young and she had this thirst that she wanted to learn and unravel the secrets of the East. And this is amazing because all of us, we know that amazing things exist in the world, but there are very few of us who have the ability, the strength and power to chase our dreams and unravel those secrets and not just unravel them, but to bring them to different cultures, communities and help different parts of the world. This is called the cloud attitude. The great immortal, his name was Datatre, and he wrote this amazing book called Avadhut Gita and he said that a good yogi has to be like a cloud. A cloud picks up water from where there is plenty and the cloud drops water wherever there is a drop. And uh, Dagmaji was there in the ashram for many, many years and she trained under the great guru, Dr. Avadhut Shivanand. And I remember her as my sibling in the monasteries and we would meditate and we would have fun and uh, we would enjoy and there was a lot of learning and uh, sometimes it was very, very hard, but she could take all those secrets and she could help hundreds and thousands of people in the whole of Europe and around the world. So thank you so very much, Dagmaji, for everything that you do and the constant drive that you have to help people with the knowledge that you have acquired. And I hope and pray today when we do our conversation and the questions that you ask me in the spirit of your drive, I hope through our conversation, all the listeners will be able to benefit and sort out whatever their issue is or gain whatever it is that they want to gain from this podcast. So over to you, Dagmaji. It is an honor to have a conversation with you. Bless you. Thank you so much, Ishanti, and thank you for having me today. And I was so looking forward. In fact, it's always so good to work with you. And what you just said 
it was the best thing ever in my life, the best decision I ever took in my life to travel to India and spend all these years training with you and Dr. Arthur Chivanand. And it has enriched my life so much and changed my life so much until today. And it still does. In fact, every day I wake up, I feel like, wow, it's starting now. And this feeling has never left me. And in my daily work, I observe, like many people come to the yoga classes or yoga groups or even one-to-one -one trainings, they're on the search. They're on the same search and they're having the same thirst like I had many years before. And there was one observation I made is like in this fast-changing time which we are living in, that people are more and more going from the yoga exercise which we so have in the West, which we practice in the West, more to the meditation. And this is my first question I want to ask you. How this meditation can help us to still this thirst which we have deep inside and also how to become more stable in these times which we are living in. Dagmaji, it's like, you know, if we want to go somewhere, like you wanted to come to India, you had to come in an aeroplane because that is the vehicle that can get you to a certain place and not just you had to be in an aeroplane, then you had to get in the right aeroplane to come to India. And then when you landed in India, then you had to come to the ashram, then you had to find the right mode of transportation to get you to the right place. And I'm sure you must have had a lot of options of transportations when you landed in India. You must be seeing a rickshaw, a tuk-tuk person driving a bike and saying, oh, sit behind me. Then we had taxis and then we had buses and in a bus of 30, we fit 200 people. So you had all these various options, modalities to help you reach where you want to be. In the same manner, if your destination is peace, calm, inner development, then the vehicle that you want to sit upon is meditation. But just like there are different vehicles and there are different ways how these vehicles reach, some are faster, some are slow, and some are outright dangerous. In the same manner, when you go to the realm of meditation, there is the right meditations, that comes from years and years, decades, generations of the research that these yogis have done, the perfect paths that they have created. You know, just like when you climb Mount Everest, the Sherpas make a very beautiful path so that all the novice climbers can walk on that path and reach to the summit. So there is the path of the yogis that help us on this process of meditation but then there are a lot of other paths also that can be slower, not as effective or sometimes outright dangerous as well. So your question was how meditation can help us. The answer is meditation is the vehicle that helps us reach the destination of enlightenment, peace, growth, evolution, the power of adaptation provided we have the knowledge to select the right vehicle. But if we don't have that knowledge, then it's like, uh, 
person going to a used car salesman and the used car salesman will definitely exploit so we must have that awareness to choose the vehicle that can help us in our journey so yes thank you beautiful explained so what i observed also like in my work that now in these times which we're living in there's a lot of fear arising right so even people who were stable before like they come to the yoga training or to the meditation practice they were very stable but suddenly with the last two years with all what happened all going on news of the news is like a rat race to survive a lot of fear are coming up in the people like it's rising on the surface and it's like the fear is taking over the fear of not taking the right decisions or at the end not even make a decision at all so even people who were like on a regular base of meditation facing these things at the moment like with covid what happened after covid like now all the wars happening in the world and mo the money inflation is coming and all those things are going so to the substance of the people so i would ask would really like to ask you on this topic what is your explanation on how how can i go in daily living in the daily rat race we are living in how can i involve this practice so that it can help me to deal with this fear so one of the greatest immortals uh, that existed whose yoga we practice hence the yoga of immortals his name was uh, the siddha the great siddha bogarnath he was very handsome he was tall he had big muscles and he was beautiful but his biggest power was he was a master of alchemy and uh, what bogarnath did was he took deadliest poisons and he worked upon them and he made them into the greatest healing herb a medicine that he called nav pashang so the greatest healing medicine made from the greatest poisons and his whole principle was transformation the whole principle of alchemy you take something that is bad and how can you transform it into something that is very very good and the process of alchemy begin with working on your own self so in the teachings of bogarnath our emotions are not bad so he tries to explain that there is a purpose a usefulness behind every emotion and if there is negativity inside us then that same emotion gets perverted for example let us take the emotion of survival instinct every single human being has to have survival instinct so survival instinct means that i want to survive i want to be healthy i will take care of my body and to survive i need a few things like uh, my house my food i need strength and the better my survival instinct is the better decisions i will take the more intuitive i am and i will be able to get myself 
from one place to another with least harm that I am putting myself in or dangerous situations. You know, uh, when we look at a teenager, we say they are reckless. And uh, why we think they are reckless? Because they are putting themselves in dangerous situations or anybody, no matter the age, if they are being reckless, that means somehow their survival instinct is not working the way they should. And once that becomes awakened, then they look back and they say, I don't believe I put myself in those situations. So survival instinct is very, very important for um, good society, for self-preservation. But Bogarnath teaches when the survival instinct gets perverted because of negative emotions, because of trauma, then the same survival instinct becomes, instead of a healing herb, a poison. So reverse alchemy. And when that happens, then the same instinct becomes fear. And now fear is that extreme level of survival instinct. Now the same instinct is not functioning in a healthy, balanced, protective manner. Now it has become fear. And fear can be rational. It can be irrational. When it is rational, when it comes out of survival instinct, then Great psychologists have talked about how fear is a gift. So if you read about uh, Gavin de Becker and his book, The Gift of Fear, he talks about if we can just learn to understand our survival instincts, we learn to listen to our gut feeling and we learn to be in harmony with our emotions, then even fear becomes a gift and it helps us make good decisions, intelligent decisions but if we do not understand our emotions then the same fear is like a demon making our life miserable putting us inside a cocoon not allowing us to look beyond our own trauma and our own belief systems so yoga and meditation helps us in two ways the first way it helps us is that if somehow we are having off-tune emotions, so how to shift this fear from the spectrum of harm to a spectrum of survival instinct. So purifying the emotion, yoga can help us do that. And the second thing, what the sadhana, the meditation can help us do is understanding and aligning with this emotion so that we can listen to our own inner wisdom. Now, this is very, very important because as you said, the world is going through a transition, a change. That is what it is. It's, it's, it's a transition. Some things are changing. And after COVID, of course, things are never going to be the same. People have gone cumulatively through a collective mass traumatic incident so things have changed and the trouble is there are a lot of good people and the trouble with good people is that they are so good in what they do that now when the world is changing it is a good thing that they are good at what they do but it is a bad thing also because now they are not ready to evolve their methods 
they are not ready to let go of their processes and yes those processes worked in a world before covid yes you could do your normal yoga your normal meditation you could go to one yoga class a week and you know just just it was like a hobby you had your processes and they worked but because they worked then now we have an attachment to them and we are saying oh we want to go back to them and anything that happens around us that says no you can never go back to your normal then we become afraid we have a fear of losing what we have but we don't understand that sometimes loss is good that is what bogarnath explains sometimes the seed must break for the plant to come out sometimes this metamorphosis has to happen the pupa must explode for the butterfly to come out and yoga gives us that strength to transition and the real the yoga of bogarnath not just the yoga of exercise the yoga of sadhana it gives us that power to adapt our processes otherwise what will happen we will say that oh we learned these processes from uh, the siddhas or we learned it from our parents and we did it for such a long time and they worked yes they worked then because the time was different then the time right now is different and we need new processes and that's why when the pandemic hit we were doing the shivers and we were teaching the yoga of immortal processes like we used to do but people were not benefiting the way they were used to benefiting why because the equation has changed the environment has changed so we did massive effort and we changed the process we evolved them we adapted them and then people started to benefit they started to feel good and they started to feel amazing and that is what yoga and meditation does that is why yoga of immortals is important because it gives us the power to adapt and when we adapt evolve and grow then fear has no meaning then it is just a survival instinct because if we are evolving then let us say a pupa is is scared that oh ants will bite me of course it is scared ants will bite but once it becomes a butterfly it is not afraid of ants it can just fly away so then fear has no meaning so one is you look at the fear you try to Uh, logically get rid of that fear and it is impossible and the other is you understand the power importance of a emotion you use it for the purpose evolution put it inside you you listen to the inner voice and you adapt your processes and you grow and when you grow then fear will not be a foe it will be a friend beautiful yes thank you beautiful it's like you open a completely new chapter it's really sounding so beautiful and i can totally relate to this this open a new chapter and like listen to the inner voice has become such a topic also here where i'm from right in europe to listen to the inner voice and often people ask me in the sessions like I hear many voices inside but how do I know this is the inner voice talking to me because there's a lot of going on a lot of chatting going on inside how do I know that this is the inner voice which I should listen to 
there are inner voices and then there is noise and echoes echoes is you know it's like greenhouse effect a greenhouse effect is when your car you park it in the sun it keeps on getting hotter and hotter and hotter why it keeps on getting hotter because when the light the sunlight enters it has a different wavelength and then when it gets inside the car it's hotter then the light can't escape so when that sunlight and heat can't escape from the car the car keeps on getting hotter and hotter and hotter the same is somebody calls us an idiot so that idiot wavelength it enters inside our brain now it's inside our brain and when it goes inside it merges with our own biases it mixes with our own anger and our own resentment and now it's become something else and now it can't go out so the person said idiot now the echo idiot 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 and the moment we try to listen inner voice and sound comes hey idiot and we are like how can our inner voice say like this is not our inner voice we are carrying echoes echoes from our childhood echoes from our bad relationships echoes from traumatic incidences and if we want to listen to ourselves then we have to understand the word self realization when i know the real i then i can say i am enlightened when i can sift through the echoes when i can sift through the noise noise is the acquired information the biases that we make we get up in the morning and we have exposure to information information that has been drilled into our heads over and over again information that tells us this is good that is bad this community is good that community is bad this country is good that country is bad and there is noise and all this information we just accept it because we want to live our life we want to be happy and it's just so overwhelming so somebody comes to us and says hey information we don't have time to fact check and you know just go through or research we are like okay fine just give it i have too much to do i'll just accept your information and i'll i have no reason to question and doubt it i'll just take it and i'll go and then when i tell you to meditate go inside look inside and then you see all this pseudo information this noise floating around and that's why in the meditative processes we have these purification processes like the pratiprasav sadhana or the art of dying or the art of self realization and these processes are extremely important because when we do these instant purification protocols what it does is it helps us get rid of all those unnecessary echoes and noises that we have inside we do these processes again and again once every few months so that if we accumulate this noise and that noise is interfering with our inner voice you know it's like static earlier times when the radio was playing and somebody had a phone next to the radio you'll get that noise tuk 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 and you'll be like oh static the this frequency is interfering with my own frequency so every few months because of the life we are living we end up 
gaining this static, this echo, this noise. So when we do these purification exercises, it helps us to listen to our inner voice. So if you have somebody who's saying that, oh, I want to meditate and I do look inside, but when I look inside, there are so many sounds that I don't know which to listen to. And that just means that they need to go through a purification process. They need to go do an intensive pradipras of sadhana. They need to just let go, become empty. And we call it the rechak. Rechak literally means uh, exhaling out, vomiting out, throwing out all this noise. And then after the process, when you are completely silent, completely pure, and in a way even exhausted, that's the time when you are in that vacuum and suddenly you feel something and you think that oh it's only me and you and then you realize aha you are the inner self and he's like yeah bro you found me finally we both are together and we can learn grow and experience the wisdom that we wish to experience so let us not um, overlook the complete processes the problem is we live in a very fast-paced world and we want to uh, make everything into pill form. It's easier to monetize it that way. You know, uh, food is microwavable food, you know, fast. Everything needs to be fast. So even when it comes to yoga and meditation, people go to the East and they see these vast processes of yoga and they see these processes of inner being and development and then they say oh it's too complicated it's too big let's let's cut short a few processes let's just make it simpler and simpler and simpler but in making it simpler we actually remove the soul of it and yes all these physical exercises and postures can help but they are pointless if we don't have those meditative processes with them, it is like just having a bulb without electricity. It is nothing but a paperweight if it doesn't have the electricity. And the sadhana, that is the electricity and that will definitely help us pinpoint the inner voice and get rid of all the noises and echoes. Yes. Okay. Good. Thank you so much, Ishanji. And one very important question which always arises in the topics of meditation or sadhana spiritual practice is the word of surrender surrender and like the bath the bhakti and many people ask me the importance what does it mean the, the word of surrender how do i know what does it mean to surrender is it a feeling or is it a decision i take at the beginning of the meditation because you can read it in many books you hear it in many movies it again and again comes up in this world and this topic of meditation so i'll tell you like what i mean when i'm taking a shiver and i say surrender uh, basically the reason i say this is because of time like people have two days or four days or five days with me and there's so much that we need to do in those five days and I want them to do those processes and the processes are a bit complicated and uh, and there is a lot of structure and there's a lot of uh, research that's gone behind them and there's a lot of legacy that comes with those processes and they have been mastered, they have been uh, uh, practiced by a generation of siddhas, by the Shiva Yogi immortals and they are very powerful 
they have uh, clinically shown to benefit people in a plethora of psychological and physiological parameters and uh, there are two ways how i can do an event one is i keep on telling them about all the benefits uh, you know if you read an ancient indian scripture it's uh, all based upon marketing uh, uh, and we didn't call it marketing we called it mahatma khand so mahatma khand is you read the ancient scripture and the first uh, 50 pages is just the benefits that if you read this scripture this will happen that will happen this will happen and the same marketing i see in a lot of wellness programs out there like a corporate event is happening and some coach will come and it's a 2 hour event and for 1 hour 40 minutes he's just going to talk about his method and how amazing his method is and how powerful it is and uh, then last in the last 20 minutes 10 minutes he will do the method and 10 minutes would be the q and a how much value can somebody gain from 10 minute of the process so when i am working with people i tell them surrender trust me let us go through these processes let us just go through this training and then as the processes are happening wonderful changes will come in your body and if you have any questions i will dedicate some time but if i had to work in the western way or the mahatma khand way then all my time would just be wasted in telling people how amazing this is rather than showing them or making them experience how amazing this is because dagma ji i come from a culture where i knew that my guru my uh, teacher he had my best interests in his heart so when he will say run i won't say why i would say how far and that's why in the processes when i sit i'm like surrender trust me you will feel amazing and then if you have any questions and doubts then maybe after the process or before coming to the event you can do your research you can read the scientific paper you can convince yourself about the benefits and the methods and the protocols but when you come to me don't come with the thought that oh i will tell you no i will show you and if i have to show you then we have to do this and if we have to do this you must surrender and in surrender is basic it's like when we are dancing when we are doing waltz or what is that ballroom dance uh, that uh, you showed me before my graduation my before my yeah that, that that one you know like no no that was prom or something you showed me how to do the ballroom dance so in that ballroom dance you were being the lead and what were you telling me takma ji surrender oi ishan just do how i do you know just follow my lead and go and i had two left feet and i was doing such bad dancing and you were thinking oh my god he's so good at yoga but so bad at dancing but still you showed me that ball was it ballroom box step you showed me yeah 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 ballroom ballroom yeah ballroom box step and and you showed me and you were amazing you had this whole agility of a dancer and i did not i was what 16 year old kid but still in that dance you are the dancer you are the lead and i follow the same is during that yogic process or any process even if you're learning a martial arts there is a teacher and he knows he has the structure he has the protocol you follow the same is during the sadhanas when i say surrender what it means is 
follow the instructions know this that whatever we are going to do it is going to be amazing it is going to be good for you it is going to be great for you and that ways we are reducing the friction of the mind and going towards the experience and the beauty about this is then i don't even need to tell you how amazing this is then you will tell me how amazing this is because then you have experienced it yourself and that's what i mean during the session i just say okay surrender this is going to be a complex session there are going to be a thousand and one instructions that i'll give you just surrender follow don't ask why do and then when i am squeezing in a thousand year worth of knowledge and history and legacy into a two day session then yes this are a few uh, uh things even i have to do to make the process faster yes thank you ishanti it's very touching words it's really nice to listen to you i'm following all your podcast you have made so far and it's always like you speak about myself and also in the programs you are doing i have observed that they are sitting a thousand or 10000 people and each one of them feeling you're talking about them <laughs> I guess it has to do with that so-called collective consciousness, right? Or how is it that 10,000 people sitting in a hall, or thousands of people from different cultures, all connecting with you online, and each one is feeling that you're speaking about them? Common vision. You know, sometimes when uh, young people come to me and say that, "Oh, you've been married for 11, 12 years, and you seem happy. What's the secret to a?" long uh, happy marriage and uh, i always say you must be united in vision you know if you just have physical attraction uh, everybody change you know so we have the shivanand gene sometimes we go big sometimes we go small if you're just attracted to uh, you know superficial things after some time there is not a lot you can do together but if there is a common vision you both are visionaries and you both are unified by a mission statement by a directive then that gives you both a synergy that will help you be in a state of a unified amazing synchronicity that many people will not get a chance to experience and i believe everybody who comes to the yoga of immortal programs uh, we are all united in that common vision that's the quantum field that unites all of us and that vision buddha explains very beautifully uh, it is buddham sharanam gachami sangham sharanam gachami dhammam sharanam gachami and buddham sharanam gachami means uh, vision and an acceptance of the knowledge of the immortals uh the immortals were the great yogis the great siddhas and they gave us this powerful information and knowledge and we have come to understand the value in that vision so we bow down and we have that common mutual respect all of us doesn't matter what our color doesn't matter what our culture what our language but what unites us is that common respect that we have to those immortal yogis then comes uh the dhammam sharanam gachami meaning we all practice the same path meaning doesn't matter what our gender is what our age is what our this is or that is we all have those same processes so same protocols 
that same meditative experiences and the same uh, good and bad that comes with it because it's it's hard sometimes so immediately we have the same trials you and i because every day in the morning we all have to get up every day we do those processes every day in the night we do the sadhanas and sometimes we have great experiences and sometimes we don't but still we have to persevere so that that unites us the dhammam sharnam gachami that surrender and acceptance to that path and you'll see this in the creed when i work with veterans i see it in their creed uh, two soldiers meet and they could be from different units they could be from different deployments but because their path was same then immediately there is this bond within that creed so the moment a shiv yogi sees another shiv yogi or a practitioner or vyoit sees another then there is a creed there is a brotherhood that yeah we both are the same and that is our bond and finally the creed that our gurus gave us is the sangham sharanam gachami means an acceptance and a want to make the world a better place service to society in whatever little way that we have so all of us are those people who are trying to make the world a better place you know my father always told me the difference between a garden and a jungle is that you just let a piece of land be it becomes a jungle but a garden needs a gardener somebody making that effort somebody bringing that change somebody working day and night to make it into a beautiful garden and that's what you and i we are doing we are gardeners we are not you know jungly like tarzan who just want to be in the forest like a monkey doing ah we are not that we are gardeners we we want to plant fruit trees we want to plant flowers we want to plant uh, trees that uh, attract honey and we want to create life and balance and harmony so we are doing that hard work and it's not easy but that's what unites us that's our creed and that's the unifying factor and that's why when i talk to people and they think that i'm saying things that they want to listen is because we are from the same creed we all believe in the same thing that the buddha said buddham sharanam gachami sangham sharanam dhammam sharanam we surrender to the path we accept the knowledge of the ancient masters and we are working as hard as we can to make the world a better place and once that creed is united then there is a brotherhood that's always there and i think that's what you feel during the session thank you very very nice thank you so much thank you most welcome it's very beautiful to listen to you and thank you also for giving your time and sharing all the knowledge and wisdom i'm listen to you since such a long time already but i never have enough it's like always you want to hear always you want to be reminded and i feel it's like i'm coming to my last question in the daily life like even it happens to me i'm going out i'm doing my work and i come back and there's some necessity you feel from deep inside to sit down and do those protocols or whenever you feel like drained of energy it sometimes happens no if there are some like challenging work work projects and you sit down and it's like you're plugging that machine right your body is like that laptop you plug into the electricity wire and whoa, you feel so charged and sometimes it takes only like 20 minutes or 30 minutes or even 1 hour and you 
don't calculate how long it takes you just feel you need that energy and this is so fascinating and so amazing that still after so many years it got more powerful more powerful and sometimes when there's a day and i don't do it in the morning i don't charge myself i get that reply from outside what's wrong with you but if i charge myself fully then people say you're glowing so that energy which is uh, happening or transmitted in the practice where does it come from or how does it can be stored in ourselves for a longer time right so there are a few factors and principles that we can look into the first factor is uh, a lot of the energy comes from inside you but uh, as you said that sometimes it's random sometimes it comes sometimes it doesn't come that is because right now there are a lot of variables that we are not aware of i'll i'll give you an example i was training olympic athletes sportsmen who are at top of their game and you know when you are an elite athletes and these are elite martial artists so in those elite competitive martial arts you don't win your opponent makes a mistake and lets you win because you are so good and the opponent is so good that you know even the slightest mistake the smallest mistake is what gives you that victory so when you are uh, calculating victory in microseconds when victory is so very uh, precise then i have seen these athletes become so very mindful and they are aware of what gives them the advantage or what takes away their advantage for example they are studying themselves so much that if they are eating something then they get to know that what they ate they made them go one second faster or one second slower you know when you are at that level or if they are sleeping in a certain way then they know that that certain sleep of that 5 hours or 8 hours is it making me go one second faster or one second slower they are so mindful about their own being that they control and they let themselves perform at a peak level the same is with a yogi if you look at a yogi a yogi is also like an elite athlete very very mindful about their dincharya what they eat what they sleep very very mindful about the clothes they wear very very mindful about how they uh, have their relationships very very mindful about how they are living their life because now they are so self aware that they know that a certain choice will have a certain impact on their meditative practice and their self realization journey but till the time we reach to that level things are a bit random because we have not developed those skills or that habit or that awareness to know what it is that is affecting us in a minor or major manner you know i i look at people they eat two three burgers and they just put them inside and they don't even know what's going to happen to them and definitely it is affecting their moods their heart their lungs their internal organs but they don't even know i see people they can drink a whole bottle a 2 liter bottle a family pack bottle of a pop drink 
of a cold drink and then they'll just drink it and so much sugar and of course it's going to affect their being but they are unaware now imagine if so much sugar going crashing your blood sugar level affecting your pancreas your brain and you don't even know and then you'll do something right and you'll have a spiritual experience how will you know what you did to get that experience things are so very random but as you continue the process you will start to understand the processes of causality or what causes something to happen and your meditation practice will become better so the first energy that you feel that comes from inside you and the more aware you are of yourself the more you will be able to access that energy and eradicate the negative behavioral patterns that keep you disconnected to that energy the second energy that comes from us is like a universal energy the easiest way i can explain to you is a radio a radio is somewhere and you change the frequency and that frequency of song starts to play in that radio the yogic principle calls it the adya shakti the universal consciousness the divinity some people call it the god consciousness some people call it with whatever their cultural or theological prejudices make them call that collective divine consciousness but that's that energy and when we are doing our meditative yogic processes we are changing our frequency and as we do that it's the same principle the radio you change the frequency and that thing that is inside the atmosphere the radio starts to connect to it the same is with us when we change ourselves we allow ourselves to be in harmony with the nature and we allow that natural divine energy to flow through us so one is the inner energy the chi the ki or all the other things that ancient modalities talk about and one is that external universal energy that we connect to through these processes that we are able to bring out and the combination of these two once mastered it becomes a very powerful advantage that a human being can have then that person is like the ubermensch that that you know the the uh, the person who's the the number one human being the person who can have creativity on demand the person who can give performance on demand the person who has the ability to be elite on demand rather than being just random and that is what a yogi is the moment he's closing his eyes yoga means union you know you're connecting union with what with the inner energy and the outer universal energy and letting there be connection a harmony between the adya and the self and then when we are in a state of yoga and we do anything that we do we are better at it that's just that so imagine when a fighter does fight with union with yoga he is better at it when a businessman conducts business in a state of yoga he is better at it when a warrior does war he is better at it and if you see our ancient lineage um, that is what you will see yoga that being that garnish that beautification that strength that gives power to any and all endeavors krishna gave yoga to arjuna on the battlefield and he became a better warrior now look at what people think of yoga today 
doing stretching in a gym that thing has no place in a war zone so that means that you have no idea what krishna's yoga was because if somebody is thinking yoga is just doing downward dog or upward bum to the moon i don't know what it's called in english i know the sanskrit versions but you know if that is what you think is yoga it's pointless that yoga only belongs in the gym but if you want a yoga that's that's as fluid that a warrior can have in his war zone or a businessman can have in his boardroom or a student can have in his classroom then you will have to have the real yoga the yoga of the immortals the yoga that can help you connect to these two sources of energy and then as you said you come back home you're feeling what you're feeling and you go in and brrr, you get recharged energized and ready to live your life happily and that's important because when we are the most energetic we start our day and when we come back to our families that is the time we are most depleted and that's wrong we should give the same amount of 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 joy and energy to our families and ourselves that we give to our work but for that we must have energy so what do we do we fuel up we fuel up just like we fuel up the tank we fuel up the car we fuel up the self and those are our processes so yes thank you so much shanti wow this would be such amazing if from small on worldwide we would learn this protocols from primary school like we learn the main topics english maths right and then also the protocols of yoga of immortals it would be a huge benefit to the whole world it is very very important because yes it's a benefit but now it's becoming a necessity because children have gone through a lot of trauma in the last few years and uh, they need these interventions and now the more clinical trials that we are doing we are realizing that the mental health of children is severely negatively impacted because of the pandemic uh, i'll give you an example we were doing some work with the athletes and they were all youth uh, under the age of uh, 25 and uh, uh, above the age of 13 and uh, we had a control group and a research group the research group were given all the interventions and the control group were given placebos so the research group we had excellent uh, data excellent results but the control group that were just given placebos after a period of one month they stated that their mental health had become worse than what it was 30 days ago now what needs to be pinpointed is more than 80% of the youth said that their mental health had become worse that is the world we live in today where you don't need to go through extreme trauma or extreme critical natural disasters or you know something huge major to experience uh, declining mental health now just surviving is enough to have a negative impact on the mental health just surviving and these children they were just trying to survive and their mental health became worse and another data that i would like to pinpoint was that a portion of this control group stated that they had contemplated suicide in the last 30 days and even if it is a small portion it is still a portion it is still human beings 
who are vulnerable, who are going through a mental health crisis. And I believe in preventative and promotive healthcare. It is harder to put back together a broken pot than to not break the pot in the first place. When all these things were happening and we were concerned about the physiological health, maybe we did not prioritize or think about the mental health of the next generation. And the thing is, as the years progress, then the impact would be much more clear to us, evident to us. Just like so many policies, we are seeing the impact of those policies in the world today. And it's very, very important what you said. It should not be a dream. It should, in fact, be our focus points, our prime points of government and governing bodies that eventually these non-pharmaceutical interventions, these behavioral modification modalities, these techniques and protocols must reach to the children who are vulnerable, who can really benefit. And I hope to do that. As of now, we are working in India and Africa with the Avdhut Shivanan Scholarship. And uh, as of this month, 29,000 children were enrolled in this scholarship. And in this model, we provide complete academic monetary support to the children who are studying. As well, we provide them mental health awareness training and the training of yoga of immortal protocol so that they just don't have the awareness. They even have the tools to work with mental health shortcomings that this modern life can awaken in their world. And I hope to increase that uh, project of Dr. Avdut Shivanan scholarship from India and Africa to other parts of the world as well because stress and mental health disorder. They do not see if the country is developed or not developed. They don't see if a person is rich or poor. They can come to anyone. This is the great equalizer today. The stress and sorrow that we feel. So we must help. And, you know, as I said, Sangham Sharnam Gachami. That's our goal. That's our goal to make these tools available. Because if they work, if they are there, why not we make an extreme effort to push these tools everywhere because this is the generation, our generation, who's working hard to get those tools everywhere. And uh, the next generation would be busy monetizing those tools. You know, <laughs> they'll be the ones who want to make the pill form of it, trying to profit from it. But at least this generation can work hard to bring accessible mental health, non-pharmaceutical protocols to the world. And uh, let's hope we work harder and more power to us. Wonderful, Ishanji. And now, as we're coming to an end, I want to ask you how people from all corners of the world can reach out. Now we have spoken so much about the protocols of Yoga of Immortal. What is, how can they reach out? What is their ways? How can they get in touch? How can they learn the protocols? What would be the most easiest way for them to learn, exercise, practice, and experience those protocols? Well, uh, I know how they can get in touch in Austria. They can get in touch with Miss Dagma. Uh, you can check her uh, uh, LinkedIn profile. I think we'll put in the link down. I'll put in the profile links of Yoga of Immortals, of IshanShivan.com, of uh, our LinkedIn pages as well. 
And uh, if you want to learn and reach out, please click on one of these links. And I'm sure uh, somebody from our team would be able to help you learn and practice these tools that will help you in whichever place you are in your journey. So, yes. Thank you so much. Thank you so very much. And Rishi ji, over to you. To the audience, I hope you enjoyed your time with us today. And I hope you'll join us again in the future. Thank you so much and goodbye.